I like the one especially about the hippies. But anyway, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you're a God. We thank you that, that there is absolutely no one like you and that you're God and we're not. And we ask, Father, that you would just uh, use this teaching to help us to advance in your kingdom. I pray, Father, that uh, whatever I say that is of you, it pierces our hearts. If there's anything I say that's not of you, that it pierces, that it falls on the floor before us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the model prayer, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is so cool about this teaching is that Jesus isn't just sharing a bunch of random thoughts. It, it, it all ties together. I mean, when you think about what we've looked at so far, it's really sharing God's will for our lives. I mean, like I've said in the past, we, we can spend an awful lot of time going, Father, what's your will? What's your will? What's your will? Well, you want to know some of his will? Know that God is your Father. Recognize and understand that God is holy. Have a desire and, in fact, want God's kingdom to come on earth. That you want God's revealed will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And to know that God will supply all of your daily needs. You know, those are important, but we also want to know that God we, God wants us to understand that he needs to be first in our lives. That's what he desires. But as we do that, it brings joy. It brings peace. It brings the fruits of the Spirit. It brings all kinds of things, good things, into our lives. Because we start becoming more and more like Christ. We start lining up with the Word of God. We start following the Holy Spirit more closely. And they only want good for us, nothing evil. And then all of that allows us to do what the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Tell me some other religion, not that Christianity is a religion because it's not, but tell me a religion that has that end to it, to enjoy it, glorify God and enjoy him forever. So moving on to Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that's a very interesting scripture. And the reason I find that extremely interesting is because it assumes two facts. <clears throat> some of which are very difficult for us to accept at times. It assumes that we as humans sin but it also assumes 
that other humans will sin against you. It's interesting, a while back there was a, a study performed where they went to some different colleges and they assessed the students on whether they had unresolved guilt. Interestingly, there was a Christian college that the students ranked in the 99th percentile of people walking around with unresolved guilt. This is a Christian college. 99th percentile. I mean, do you find this surprising? I do. But then I started thinking about it, and I started, I started praying about it and, and started looking at why in the world would they have unresolved guilt? And I came up with some thoughts. They're just my thoughts. But I no, also know some of these from experience. That many Christians, sadly, don't really understand who they are. People who have been born again. That they're a new creation. People who are forgiven. I mean forgiven. Forgiven of their moral sins. And I'll, I'll explain that in a little, little bit later. People with perfect spirits. Because they're born again. People who are righteous. People who are children of the living God. People who are co-heirs with Christ. People who are the church that, without spot or wrinkle. Yeah, we, we still sin. I don't know about you, but I do. That's why Chris and I pray every day, forgive us all our sins. And, and we even throw in that kicker and forgive the, even the ones that we may not be aware of. Because there's sins we do that we're not aware of. But it's nice that we can ask for forgiveness of those sins, knowing that they will be forgiven. And the reason we can know that is because Jesus satisfied all of our sins at the cross. And those who have accepted that fact are seen as righteous by God. See, I, I think that as we understand more and more and more and more and more of who we are, we're going to walk with less and less guilt. The second reason I believe so many believers live with guilt is, is because sometimes followers of Christ can be a little bit slow to repent. And they don't deal with their sin. And they don't deal with it because of one or two reasons. They, they don't recognize that they have sin or they don't think that repentance is all that important. You know, no, no big deal. God, I serve a, God, a merciful God. A, a, a God is full of grace, and his grace is sufficient. So let's just move on. That may be why that Christian church is in the 99th, or not Christian church, the students are in the 99th percentile. 
because if that's your attitude, you're going to live with guilt that you may not understand. Remember that acronym I talked about last week, ACTS? That's interesting, isn't it? Now, I, I don't know if the person put that together was was knew what they were doing or they did and they put it together the way they did. But the first day is for adoration, which I think is the most important thing we can do with our Lord is, is to just have that kind of understanding of how wonderful he is, that he is uh, high and lifted up, that his train fills the temple, that he is the God of all creation, and he is an amazing and, and loving person. But the second one isn't thanksgiving or supplication. The second one is confession. To see. Just a thought. But I think it's it's important. See, we, we, we have to understand that when we sin, we have debt. And this will become clear as we go along. And we must, must confess it. See, the Greek word for debt, ophelema, it means a debt which is owed, which is strictly due because of sin. Now, I really understand and believe that believers, people who are in Christ, when they sin, it does not separate them from the Father, from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. But they have a debt. Romans 6.22a, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become, here's a word people don't like, slaves of God. a message within itself, isn't it? See, God never turns his back upon us, on us. We're never separated from him. And the reason why is because at the cross, God did something very important through Jesus. He forgave everyone of their moral debt. And I'll explain a little more about that a little bit later. But we do have debt that needs to be dealt with when we sin, even as believers. R.C. Sproul puts it this way. I like it. When we sin, we put ourselves into debt to God. We incur an obligation. We come to owe him something. Thus, when we ask for his forgiveness, we are asking that he forgive our debt. Not asking that we are reconciled to him. See, here's the problem. If we had... If, if our sins, as we're believers, would separate us from God, we'd be in serious doo-doo because a very, 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 very high percentage of us, 99.99999999% well, actually, I think it's 100%, would die with unrepentant sin. Where does that put your carcass? But the moral debt was taken care of. That's why we must pray, forgive us our debts. Because we're confessing to God that we sinned. And therefore, we're asking him to forgive us. To erase that debt. 
and as we've talked about in the past, to get rid of, of other things. Shame for the biggest one. Now, I, I want to make sure that we understand some things here. First, that when we are sincere in our forgiveness, or in our request for forgiveness, in our repentance, he forgives us. It, it, he just does. Jeremiah 31, 34, the very last part of it says this, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I love that. Now that, that verse is really misquoted a lot. It's misquoted in the sense that people say God has forgotten our sins. No, he hasn't. He just chooses not to remember them. He doesn't forget anything. But he chooses not to remember them, which means he chooses not to use them against us. The second thing we, thing we need to understand is we don't demand forgiveness. Instead, we humbly ask God. There's a 19th century uh, teacher, I didn't go back as far as Terry did. His name was John Brown. And he made this very good observation. To the very end of life, the best Christian must come for forgiveness just as he did at first. If you've been a believer for 60 years, when you approach God to ask for forgiveness, it needs to be in the same way that the very first time you came. Not as a claimant of a right, but as a suppliant, which means a humble petitioner of a favor. And the third thing we need to understand, the debt that Jesus is discussing here is not the same as the debt that was paid on the cross. There's two different debts. The debt that Jesus paid on the cross was huge. It was a moral debt that separated all of humanity from the Father. I uh, hope I were talking about some things this morning. I know I've used this before, but it just irritates me every time I see that poster that we're only about that far away from Jesus. When it's infinity that way and infinity that way. As far as the east from the west. But it was a huge moral act that Jesus did, that the Father did through Jesus. See, when man fell, God had a choice. He could either demand payment of the moral debt, or he could take care of it himself. Now, let's say Help us understand that. Let's say you have a baby, and that baby's hungry, but you have no milk or infamil or whatever it is, and you have no money. So you go to the store with the purpose of getting some, but you know the only way you can get some is to steal it. 
and you go in and you wear clothing that you can hide it under. And when there's nobody around, you steal some. And you race out the door. But the camera caught you. And the manager screams. And as you're going outside, there just happens to be a police officer outside the door. And he hears the scream. And he stops you. And arrests you. But there's somebody that's watching this whole thing. And they walk up and said, not only will I pay for that, but I want her to go back and get whatever she needs, and I will pay for that. Now, the owner has a choice. They still charge them, or do they accept payment and not press charges? Our father accepted payment and didn't press charges, and aren't you happy about that? And if you're not, I need to smack you. I didn't say that. I, didn't, I really didn't say that. Yeah. No, you didn't hear that out there, okay? See, the father saw our sin, and he had a choice. See, he, we have to understand he had a choice. He could have sent us to hell. But he wanted us. He desired relationship with us. So he sent Jesus to the cross and made the decision not to press charges. Instead, he paid the debt through Jesus. See, there's, there's, there's times, I encourage us, church, there's times, and you all out there, that there's times that we must sit down before the Lord and say, remind me of what you did at the cross. I believe that. Because we can get a little callous, a little forgetful. It, it, it's like the story when I'm, I've, said, I've, I've said different things to the Lord, and all of a sudden he just says, but Gary, I love you. And I, I, I just melt. And that's why he did what he did. And it's a love that I don't understand. And I don't think any of us here understand. But we need to understand he chose to do that for you, for me. And so when he did that, our moral sin, the overall sin that kept us separated from God, was forgiven. Now, the reason it applies to you is that at some point in your life, you said, I can't do it at all anymore. I need help. Jesus, come into my life. Help me. And, the more, and that forgiveness of the moral sin was applied to you. And that's why you're never separated from God. But don't think you should ever not Repent, because you don't want to be in the 99th percentile and walking around with guilt and shame.
But then we're also called to follow God, to be holy. Like it says in Leviticus 11.45, shall therefore be holy for I am holy. But it's repeated in 1 Peter 1.16, you shall be holy for I am holy. See the difference there? I am holy. That's why we're holy. Even though we sin and we incur debt, we're still holy. Jesus made us holy at the cross, and we accepted that holiness and became holy when we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. Do you think we owe thankfulness to our God? I do. Yet, when we acquire other debt, we need to repent because we sin. So what is sin? Most of the time, the Greek word for sin is either hamartia or skandalizo. And together they mean an offense, stumbling, missing the true end, being at odds with God, not walking in truth. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sin this way. Sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. But Gary, I thought we weren't under the law that we were under grace. That's what scripture says. Well, that's true. It says in Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. However, the law never went away. Matthew 5.17, some guy named Jesus is saying that. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When we became a Christian, and we're not under the law, that doesn't mean we can go out and commit adultery, dishonor our parents, covet other people's stuff, and the rest of the Ten Commandments and everything else. But the deal is, is under the new covenant, grace comes in, and Jesus took care of what we couldn't do. Forgiveness of the moral sin and separation from God. But we still should not commit adultery. We still should not murder. We still should honor our parents. We still should have no other gods before us. just that the new covenant there's grace and it comes in and repentance comes in and Jesus takes care of what we could remember that because of our sin nature and because of who we were we were enemies of God and I say that because he still did what he did for us even though we were enemies Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. But praise the living God, Jesus took care of our moral sin and opened the door of relationship with him. See, there's this great courtroom in the sky. We were on trial. It wasn't looking good. The accuser had 
filed about 46 million documents of evidence against us. And the judge was about to declare that we were guilty. But our Father God came forth and said, wait. Somebody paid the price already. And his name is Jesus. Because he paid the price of our moral debt that came about because of our moral failure. Therefore, if we've accepted Christ, which I assume we have, then our moral failure has been taken care of and we are pure in Christ before God. And with that, I could stop right there and we could just stand up and sing hallelujah. But I'm not stopping there. Because though our spirits are perfect, our flesh still sins. And hopefully, as believers, that bothers us and causes us to pray, forgive us our debts. So hopefully you understand a little bit more about what the debts mean. In fact, in effect, what we're saying is, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this sin. I, but I want our relation to, to be perfect in every way, to have no shame, to have no debt there. So please forgive me and take away my debt and take away my shame. And he does. He does. I mean, is that not absolutely amazing? Think of some other God that's celebrated on earth today that that happens. Think of some other God, like the first, I think it was the first song we sang that said, there's an empty tomb. Why wouldn't we rejoice in him? Why wouldn't we share about his goodness? He did it all. Now, that doesn't mean we've got nothing to do. Obviously, we want to pray. We want to walk out as well as the things we've been talking about over the last five, six weeks. But see, this is that's not all this petition addresses. Reading Matthew 6, 12 again. Forgive our, us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I mean, think about that. It's a little bit frightening. Maybe a little bit downright scary. What's being said there? We're asking God to forgive us in the same way that we have forgiven others. We're asking God to forgive us the same way we have forgiven others. And I go, the Father forgave us perfectly. Have we forgiven, have I forgiven others perfectly? Is this petition saying then that neither will your Father perfectly forgive you? I've heard it taught that way. No. What about God's cross? What about his grace? What about his mercy? What about it is finished? We can't forgive the way God does. Not one of us. 
Yes, we can go forgive us our debts. And that's important. But if somebody sins against us and they ask for forgiveness, do we forgive them completely and perfectly? No condemnation in the Lord. Remember that. The forgiveness of a lot of, of the moral debt and a lot of other things and the debts is not based on our works. It's based on what the Father did through Jesus, mercy and grace. Yet it's God's will that we forgive others to sin against us. But what we need to do is make sure we pray and we seek God and we say, help. Help us, Lord. Help us to forgive. Remember, the moral debt has been taken care of. We're just learning how to be better forgivers. But we're not being separated from God because we don't do it perfectly. But we want to be people who forgive those that sin against us. Yes, we need his grace. Yes, we need his mercy. Yes, we need the Holy Spirit to come and help us. But guess what? They'll be there. They'll be there. And we will learn to forgive more and more as we seek him. Now, if you do forgive someone, and I hope you do, and they don't repent. The second hard thing is don't be vindictive. Forgive them anyway. It's the right thing to do. And here's the why it's right for obviously the fact because God wants us to do it. But the other thing that happens when we do forgive them, it breaks bondages and it breaks any control that they have over you. Because if you don't forgive somebody who has sinned against you, they're still controlling you. They still got you right here. And so forgiveness, a lot of times, is just for yourself. So that you can be free of those people. And then we're called to relate to them out of love. It doesn't mean you have to be their best friend. It doesn't mean that they still don't have things that they need to deal with. It just means that you're trusting God to work with them to get the things done that they need to get done. And then he will be rebuild the relationship that you used to have if he wants it to be. Now, if sin is serious enough, Jesus laid out a process in the scriptures, which I'm sure you're aware of, Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him, but his fault between you and him alone. And if he doesn't repent, then go and take two more. And if he doesn't, take him before the church or the elders of the church. Now, it doesn't mean every time somebody takes you off 
and you take it before the church, okay? And the other thing is, is in response to a question from Peter, and how often we should forgive, remember what the answer was? Everybody's familiar with this one. Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 77 times seven. Or it's in various ways. But the, the interpretation is you always are called to forgive. Now, in summary, I want to stress four very important part points. So when I'm done with this, you, Chris, do you guys have another song? So when I'm done with these four points, you come up, but I want everybody to listen to these four points. God forgave our moral sin through Jesus on the cross. Two, we need to ask God to help us to become more diligent in recognizing our sins and repenting so that we get rid of the debts, so we get rid of, of any shame or whatever. Three, we need to ask God to help us become more like Jesus and forgiving. And four, that we readily forgive those that sin against us. And I guarantee, I'll put it in writing, that if we learn to walk in these four things and, and learn and learn and, and become proficient in walking in these four things, you will have a life of such joy. Because whatever anybody does to you will not matter. Because you'll just go, I forgive you. What a witness. I mean, can you imagine those people in Hebrews 11 being sawn in two? Raising their fists and cursing the people who were sawing them in two? No. I bet they were forgiving them. When Daniel was in the lion's den, I don't remember anything about how Daniel said that where Daniel was cursing everybody all over the place. Okay, if the worship team can come up. And here's the prayer I pray. God, give me faith and give me grace to receive forgiveness and to give it. God, give me faith. Give us faith and give us grace to receive forgiveness and to give it. To have our debts forgiven and to forgive our debtors. It is so important that we learn how to repent and that we learn how to forgive. It is two huge keys to the kingdom. And when I say that, I'm not saying that until you learn them, you're, you are uh, exempt from the kingdom of God. What I'm saying is the more we understand that, the more we learn that, the more we walk in, walk in it, the deeper we're going to walk into God's kingdom. That's what I'm saying. Because we walk into his kingdom. We're part of his kingdom by what he did. But the joy and the peace and the grace and the mercy and the 
forgiveness and the righteousness and the holiness and 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 everything else will become even greater because we'll be freer in Jesus' name. So, Father, I just pray that you will help us and that you will give us the faith and the mercy and grace necessary to receive forgiveness and to give it when needed. In Jesus' name.